JM in the AM Wednesday as uh, we continue here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Jacob Kornblue, who is the national political reporter for Jewish Insider, is with us live via telephone. A couple of things we wanted to speak to him about, most notably this whole Democrat uh, part, Democratic Party abandoning Israel issue as we get closer and closer to Election Day. Jacob Kornblue, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good to be back, Mr. Nachum Siegel. I appreciate that. So Senator Schumer, who we've been, I wouldn't say hounding, we're not at that, we're not at that stage yet, uh, but I believe he has an obligation to this audience and our community to come up with a more comprehensive response than his official statement regarding the Democratic Party and what is perceived to be, and might be a reality, its abandonment of uh, of Israel. Uh, so before I read to you the statement that he did issue, uh, am I making too much of this? Would you agree that this is actually a, a real elephant in the room for the Democratic Party, and it's not just a few fringe candidates, but it could be the entire party that's shifting its opinion of Israel? There's no doubt that um, within uh, the Democratic Party, there's a growing um, voice uh, among uh, millennial and progressives um, activists and now uh, candidates who are running for office, most of them who are in line uh, to become members of Congress, especially there are certain uh, seats which there are no competitive races. Right. So obviously they would get elected um, unless something happens. Uh, those voices have express different opinions than the traditional U.S.-Israel um, relations positions that we have heard from members of Congress and um, leaders of the Democratic Party. Uh, having said that, I still believe that Senator Schumer is right when he says that when it comes uh, to the Senate leadership, when it comes to the voting record of the U.S. Senate, there's clearly bipartisan support for Israel, if it's on funding, if it's on uh, policies that are not necessarily enacted by the administration. Obviously, there's an executive branch. So if, for instance, the Iran nuclear deal, uh, it wasn't a treaty, so it didn't have to be approved by Congress. But what Congress did was they didn't come up with a veto-proof majority to override um, the president's uh, waiver. Uh, in the case of the Jerusalem embassy move, that was a decision made by the State Department and by the president himself. Right. So when you look at the voting record, not necessarily the policies that are enacted by the executive branch, there's clearly bipartisan support for Israel, and that would remain if we see, at least in the upcoming election, if we see a shift in power, if it's Nancy Pelosi, if it's Nancy Pelosi um, taking over um, as House uh, Majority Leader, or if it's Senator Schumer taking over, which is uh, mostly unlikely according to recent polls, but if Senator Schumer takes over as Majority Leader, or if he remains as Minority Leader with the uh, Republicans in control, you're still going to see that bipartisan support, especially when it comes to funding the Israeli military. All right, so uh, you're not jumping on my bandwagon on this, it seems. You are you're satisfied with the response of Jewish, uh, uh, Jewish Washington leadership. Here's the statement, by the way. This is what Schumer actually said uh, in, uh, in reaction to people like me. He said, Senate Democrats 
are very strongly pro-Israel and will remain that way. Senate Democrats led the charge to pass the Taylor Force Act, a record amount of assistance for Israel to protect herself, including funds for Iron Dome and David's sling, and recently and unanimously passed a bill out of committee condemning the use of human shields by Hamas and Hezbollah. He adds, I will also be pushing legislation that strongly opposes BDS. However, Jacob Cornblue, with that being acceptable to too many, uh, wouldn't you agree that the avira, the atmosphere that we now see in the Democratic Party, uh, and as we get closer and closer to the next you know, big national election, which is obviously in 2020, it's very possible that this whole progressive attitude could seep into the Democratic platform. It, it's, no, it's no shock that when we get to the conventions, and I know it's way before, but when we get to the conventions, whatever the atmosphere is at that time is usually what the platform reflects. Clearly that in 2020 you will see a shift in positions or you will see candidates arise who will not express those traditional positions that Democratic uh, um, candidates and presidents have expressed in the past. And yes, you're right. You might see some language within the Democratic platform that will not satisfy uh, uh, pro-Israeli folks like you. Um, nonetheless, we have seen already a shift, not necessarily uh, in, 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 in acting policy, but we've seen shift in rhetoric and in changing the wording of the, the traditional positions in both parties platform. So if you look at the Republican uh, Party platform, okay, uh, they removed the mention of a two-state solution. Now, until a month ago, President Trump didn't mention his administration's, uh, he didn't actually express support for a two-state solution. He said two states, one state, three states, right. whatever. Right. Uh, that has changed as well, which is he has moved back to uh, the traditional U.S. administration support for a peaceful settlement in the region, which would result in a two-state solution unless both parties agree that they can come up with some other proposal. So you've seen on the Republican Party also a shift in pro-Israeli positions that are not in sync with current administration um, uh, policy, and you also have to take into account that when you look at American Jews, when you look at Israelis as a whole, as a majority, there is m more support for a two-state solution than U.S. withdrawal from the Iran nuclear deal and moving the embassy of uh, te uh, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem without uh, um, uh, uh, the Palestinians get, getting anything in return. So there's always um, an eye view of the U.S.-Israel relationship and support for Israel that w we would um, assume that anybody who expresses uh, support for Israel should take positions that the current Israeli government uh, has acted upon or the current U.S. administration has acted upon. 
but you also have to look at the other side, which is 70% of uh, American Jews uh, are more on the progressive side, at least on the liberal side, uh, voting for Democratic uh, candidates. And we might see in November a shift of power, which is not in our hands, meaning to say, obviously, it's in the voters' hands. But for those who express concern of what might happen to the U.S.-Israel relationship or to bipartisan support in Israel, uh, for Israel in Congress, we have to act upon it. We have to either educate those candidates who are still young and inexperienced and do not value um, the strong uh, um, bipartisan support for funding for Israel and the shared values that right. the U.S. and Israel share. All right, so it sounds like you're, you're on one side, you, you believe the overall picture is going to remain close to the same, but at the same time, you're recommending uh, that we got to stem the tide. You're recommending that, you know, as this shift, no matter how small it might be, is happening, uh, the Jewish community's got to be active or the pro-Israel community's got to be active in stemming the tide as best as possible. There's no doubt about that. And Senator Schumer plays a role in that oh, yeah. as well. And I'm de- that's why I'm demanding he play a bigger role, frankly. I well, think he's well getting... we don't know what role he's playing behind closed doors, but we also have to look at something else, which is those, ca- those um, folks are candidates right now. They're still running for office. And while we assume that they would take office come January, we also have to assume that they will be briefed on policy, on domestic policy, on health care and other right. issues that they're not experienced with, but they'll also be briefed and meeting uh, 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 members of the administration. They'll right. meet members of the Israeli government yeah, and members within their own party, which will they will then learn that the U.S. shares so much in common with Israel that it's critical for them to support funding yeah, I, I for get, Israel, I, I, at least in, at, at, at this current moment. Yeah, I get it. At some point in 2019, someone's going to sit them down and, 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 and teach them reality. I understand that. But still, but still, there's certain people we have to be wary of. Jacob Kornblue is with us, national political reporter for Jewish Insider. What do you think of the uh, pro-Israel activists who are coming out against Kirsten Gellibrand at this point? First of all, uh, based on polls and, uh, uh, you know, and reality, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand will be reelected. okay? Uh, but on the other hand, uh, one should understand that Kirsten Gillibrand has taken positions that are not in sync with at least uh, the Jewish community in New York. Right. Uh, and, and here I bring back... Senator Schumer, right. Senator Schumer at least voted against the Iran nuclear deal in 2015, though right. he said right. that currently it, we are not in a position to withdraw. Right. Uh, he did support the Jerusalem embassy move. Uh, in fact, he said that he uh, um, influenced the administration on, on that matter. Yeah, we, we've always given him credit for that. Throughout. Right. Yeah. So when you look at Kirsten Gillibrand, she also represents New York. She represents the largest Jewish community uh, in the country outside of Israel. And she is nowhere to be seen. Uh, She has taken positions that even senators in other states with a... Uh, you know, with not 
such a large uh, Jewish community presence have taken, especially on the uh, anti-BDS bill, where she withdrew support after pressure from activists, uh, civil rights activists. Uh, and so on. She supported the Iran nuclear deal, and right. she criticized the administration when it came to the Jerusalem embassy move. Right. So one should um, understand the frustration that people share um, about um, her positions, but you should look at the other side, which is most of those people who turn out to these rallies are right-wing Jews. Right who happen to live in New York. Right. And those would support any Republican candidate against any Democrat. Yeah, I understand that. But uh, many people who uh, fall in the category that you just described as being relatively pro-Israel and certainly right-wing religiously and most often politically, they will be voting for Kirsten Gillibrand on November the 6th because they have other interests, not just Israel. My point, my point being, my point being, to make it even more clear, that one might think that the noticeable Jewish community of New York, those you describe, are you know the majority of of the uh, of the right wing Jewish community of New York. One would think that they would be uh, that they would be wary of her because of all the things we just described and all the things we just mentioned, but because of other interests that they have when it comes to Democratic leadership, whether it be financial support, etc., they're going to be voting for her coming up on November 6th. Yeah, listen, we have to look at face reality, okay? Uh, this, this is not a one uh, single issue election, and uh, we, uh, those anti-Semites, want to say Jews control the world, but uh, we are not a majority uh, of the electorate. So uh, when it comes to incumbents, um, I spoke to uh, one of the leaders of NORPAC, which is a um, pa political action committee that, that mainly supports uh, Canada to express the strong bipartisan support for Israel. But they've supported a lot of Republican candidates, and they have made the point with that when it comes to incumbents with a voting record in support of Israel, even if they're Democrats, they support and raise money for them. Understood, but you just pointed out yourself that she's disappointing in that area. Right, but you know, when when you equate uh, Kirsten Gillibrand to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez right, that's or un that's to unfair. Um, other candidates right, that that's have unfair. a right. voting record right. that, um, against funding for Iron Dome, right. they have a, a, right. a record of speaking out against the state of Israel or in support of the boycott right. uh, sanctions and divestment uh, uh, movement. Those people are actually contributing to uh, uh, those who seek to destroy right. the state of Israel. Kirsten Gillibrand is not in that category. Right, point well taken, completely understood. Jacob Kornblues with us. Finally, did you watch the debate last night? Did you uh, see the governor in action? I, I did watch snippets of that debate, uh, and what I came across was, one, that Andrew Cuomo never takes anything for granted. Even if he's 30 percent Ahead in the polls, he acts like as if he's 5% uh, behind. <laughs> uh, that's number one. Number two, uh, Andrew Cuomo is an aggressive person, and it comes across when he's on TV. Uh, he's more of an executive uh, and not necessarily even 
he's been in politics his entire life, doesn't act like a slick politician when it comes to TV. I thought Mark Molinero gave a very uh, a positive impression. Agreed, to, agreed, agreed. And, and, and he fought back against assertions that he's a mini Donald Trump. Right. Um, I spoke to him a few weeks ago, and uh, uh, we discussed that matter, and he made uh, the point that while he's a Republican and supports most of Donald Trump's position and obviously the current administration's policies, he's a more disciplined fighter. Uh, he drew that contrast. Right. So, uh, and you saw that on TV. Yeah, I thought he handled, while, I thought he handled he it very well. Back, he was disciplined. Yeah. He was, he was um, actually pretty positive, yep. uh, given the circumstances. But he also laid out a different vision. Um, ultimately, it will be up to voters. I do uh, um, see... Uh, the race tightening uh, in the closing days yeah, that's of the election that's traditional. due to the um, growing, uh, um, you know, uh, the, out, the, the, the upstate electorate, right. which is moving more towards the uh, Republican yeah. Party and also uh, the erosion of the uh, blue wave prediction. Yeah, that's traditional as we get closer. And the, the, the real question is, will he win by uh, less or more than 20 points? That's really the issue, I guess. Uh, well, Robert Torino won, uh, um, 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 came, came very close within 10 points. Right. Uh, but he didn't win the governorship, so that matters. Uh, Jacob Cornblue, how do people follow you? Well, they can follow me on Twitter, um, at Jacob Cornblue, uh, or they can read my newsletter, which is published um, every morning. Uh, you can sign up on jewishinsider.com, or you can read us um, on Times of Israel and Haaretz. I know you like to be in the middle of the action, but are you literally in the middle of traffic this morning, <laughs> the way it sounds? <laughs> uh, I, I, didn't, I don't know if you mentioned, but I live in Borough Park. <laughs> So even if you're indoors, you get to hear all those uh, sounds, huh? Yeah, I'm 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 literally uh, um, um, five floors above ground, but still uh, am as if I'm walking now on the avenue uh, with cars and buses surrounding me. Walking on the avenue, it sounds like you're in the middle of the street. Jacob, thank you so much for joining me. It's uh, much appreciated. Always a pleasure, Nachum. JewishInsider.com. Sign up for his daily email immediately. Jacob Cornblue on Twitter at. Jacob Cornblue, K-O-R-N-B-L-U-H. Wednesday morning, it's JM in the AM. <laughs>